Hello and welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast put on by First Baptist Church of Jackson. This is a podcast where we discuss how Jesus can be found all throughout Scripture and how to read the Bible devotionally. We've got a lot of ground to cover in both the Old and New Testament. We're really excited. I hope you are too. Here we go. All right, let's let's get it underway. Yeah, so welcome to the podcast, the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm Daniel. I'm uh, joined with Pastor Troy, um, who's going to be our Bible answer man for the day, and uh, for, the, also, for the for the decade for the decade for the foreseeable future, <laughs> the foreseeable future of this future. podcast. Right. And I'm also joined with Evan. He's a church member here. He plays in our band, and he's an overall question answer, question asking guy, man. He's filled with questions. Filled with questions. So welcome, Evan. Well, yeah, thanks. Welcome, welcome to you guys too for the first podcast. Oh, for sure, for sure. This is our first podcast, and we're really excited. Um, Troy, do you want to just introduce yourself? And I, yeah, I, I'm uh, Troy. I'm lead pastor here at First Baptist Jackson, and been here one year. Woo. This is uh, it's been an exciting time here, and we wanted to start this podcast because one of the things we started this year as a church is a reading plan where we're encouraging our people to read through the Bible through the course of the year and want to continue to do that year after year after year. And I think one of the things that people people always tell me is, well, I get to Leviticus and then I just, I, you know, it just all falls apart from there. One of the things we want to do with this podcast is to show you that in every week's reading, there is something extremely valuable to mine from that. And, to, and hopefully, as we begin to talk about the things that we saw in the reading for that week, you'll be like, oh, I want to go check that out, or I want to see that for myself or read in more detail. Kind of maybe hit some highlights of some things and, and ask some questions. And, and you say, does the Bible really say that? And you go back and look, and, and there it is. And so you can come up with your own conclusions. Hopefully... You'll have questions and thoughts and and things that you want to share, and, and we would love to hear about those things as we read through the Word of God together. But one of the other things we, and one of the reasons we call the podcast "Understanding Jesus," is we want everyone to see that in every reading, no matter what it is, in every part of Scripture, everything, all of Scripture connects to Christ. There is there is always the reason why God has given us these sixty six books through forty one different authors is to point us to Jesus. In the Old Testament, looking forward, and the New Testament account giving us uh, the gospel account of his life, and then and then reflecting back on the things that Jesus has taught us, and we know through the whole counsel of Scripture. And that's part of the challenge. We want, if you read something, oh, there is no possible way that this could mean something or connect in any way to Jesus. The, we love those kind of questions because uh, we'll take that challenge, challenge on. Accepted. We will accept that challenge and see how it connects to Jesus. So so we'll look at some questions and and then and look at some things that uh, that stick out to us in the reading. I, this is not a scholarly uh, podcast. This is not us using our years of Hebrew knowledge and 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 so forth and archaeological evidence that we've all pulled out and, and our study uh, thorough study of of uh, the original languages or whatever. All we're doing is we want you to see that uh, any normal person, <laughs> even uh, even Evan, even Evan. Uh, even Evan can read the Bible, and and God can highlight certain things in that particular reading and and speak through that. That the, the, he he wants to speak to the common man and woman out there who are reading each day, and you don't have to have a theologian or Bible scholar right there beside you to explain everything to you. We want to show you that there's there's amazing things to pull and glean from Scripture each and every each and every day, uh, and we're doing this weekly, so um, we'll be looking at the entire week's um, 
readings. The first set of readings, actually, we cheat a little bit because it actually goes January 1st through the 11th because the first was on a Wednesday. Yeah. So we kind of went all the way through, yeah, Saturday of the next week. But so that's where we are. So, Evan, you had a question. Yeah, mine's more of an overarching question rather than a single point question. Um, but it covers different. It covers all the, the reading that we had. So in different, uh, one of the things I was talking to Daniel about, um, I think yesterday, um, what, what what's the difference between different um, places in the Bible that you're reading, how we um, how we understand it, and how it's teachable to us? So for example, um, Genesis might have a different way that we listen to it um, and uh, apply it to our lives than Proverbs would, than the narrative of Jesus' lives in, in the gospel compared to the letters of Paul. Well, there are different literary genres throughout the Bible, and when you understand the literary genre of that particular area of reading, it doesn't mean that it's not authoritative. And let's just say we we start all of our discussion on the premise of we believe in complete biblical inerrancy, meaning that we believe everything is written as God intended it to be written, that the message is infallible, that the message he is trying to communicate is the message that God wants to communicate. Um, and, uh, and so, but when we talk about literary genre, it, it's just simply there, like for instance, Proverbs is wisdom literature. It is written from the perspective of being writings, wisdom writings, where you would say these are principles of life that in most circumstances when employed are true. Uh, I know there would be some who would say uh, that if, uh, when Proverbs says, when you train up a child in the way you should go and not depart from it, that that is infallible truth and is always true and it never fails or whatever. But uh, not only do you see in practical life that um, that is more a practical application that applies in most circumstances, but I, I believe because it is wisdom literature, it's meant to be received that way. When it was written, it was meant to be received that an overarching guideline for life is that you should train up your children in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. Not that this is 100%, it's not trying to say this is 100%, never fails, never goes any other direction, but to say this is a best practice of life and the uh, wisest way to do it. I don't, I believe that God will always reward you for employing that practice because he is the one who is giving you that wisdom to do that. But, uh, and and, maybe, and if that creates controversy, then we would love to have that response to that. But um, but in Genesis, uh, when you look at uh, Genesis and and uh, the other passages like that, you're looking at um, historical narrative epic uh, types. So we are to take the writings of Genesis as a an historical narrative. Um, Moses, we credit with being the author of the first five books of the Bible. Um, we look at those first five books as, as being, uh, some people say, well, why uh, why would Moses, well, historically, some of the rationale behind why Moses would be the one to, to write those books is he came from Egypt. Um, they were in, they had introduced a lot of writing in that period of time. He, uh, they were using papyrus to record things, so he would be, had been trained to do that. He probably, in his time, in his 40 years of leading the children of Israel, would have received that the narrative of their story. It was a very oral culture during that period of time. And, and we know oral cultures even today in different parts of the world. And when you're part of an oral culture, it's when you're part of a written culture or a literary culture like we are, it's really hard to, or now becoming even more of a digital culture, it's really hard to understand how an oral culture works. But 
they when they are sharing those stories with other people, you have a, a person, people within the, a village or, or such who have been handed down these stories. It is extremely meticulous. And when they are conveying that story, they would go over it. And you will learn, you'll spend your entire life learning the stories that have been passed down from generation to generation. Studies have shown it's actually more accurate in a lot of times than than written traditions that are passed on from time to time. Uh, so there's no reason to question the validity of the stories. And always remember, we believe that God is superintending this process. He is making sure that even though this is being passed on through oral tradition, that he is making sure the story is communicated with the accuracy that he intends. Uh, and so Moses receives this, and then he writes it down. So he is writing it. So that's that's most likely why when you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, uh, you have kind of a, here's a, or you read Genesis 1, and then you get into chapter 2, and it's kind of like it starts the creation story again. That's probably how that narrative was passed on, and Moses is just simply saying, here's how this was shared. Uh, and it, it doesn't take away from the validity of the story. It's just you're getting various perspectives on the same ideas. So that's, uh, I don't know if that helps, but but so so we have every reason to believe the history that it is a real space-time historical accuracy in the events that are recorded in Genesis, and it does accomplish the purpose that God intended and why he shared those stories. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I yeah. think that kind of answers it, yeah. Um, but kind of the other part of my question would be that, that are different parts teachable in different ways? Um, so, and you kind of answer that through like the wisdom stuff. It, mm -hmm. it explains how you, it's more of a this is a overarching theme, something that is, is followable. Mm -hmm. And then um, the Genesis is more of a narrative, um, and you call it an epic uh, story, right? You know, yeah. So. And so, what do you think that Daniel, as far as just it's a story that's being told, a narrative? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, one's it'd be like like a Proverbs. I could tell my son, hey, don't play with fire, you're gonna get burned doesn't mean that every time he plays with fire that he'll get burned in his whole life, but that's an overarching thing. And, and, it, and it's for the purpose of applying that wisdom to you. Right. Applying knowledge, uh, this is how you take knowledge we have and how you apply, apply it, to your which life. is what wisdom, applied knowledge. Uh, and so when you're reading it, you're reading it for that purpose. You're not trying to get historical facts and understanding of, of a narrative of how things, but in... Um, and not that there isn't wisdom to be applied from the things we learn in Genesis, but it doesn't necessarily, when we get to reading Job, and, and not to jump ahead, Job is wisdom literature, and there's a lot of things that are said in Job that you have to take into consideration. It's shared from the perspective of a person who is, is the antagonist in this particular story, so the words that are being said shouldn't be applied as truth or this is how I should, this is a good life practice. You have to take into context, uh, the context of the, of the passages being shared. Uh, one of the things, uh, again, jumping ahead, when you get into the prophetic literature, uh, Psalms are, are songs, uh, that were written. So it's going to be more from a, a different type of literary function there. Um, but especially in the prophetic literature and apocalyptic literature, when you get later into later passages in the Bible, the language is being used there is for the purpose of creating this apocalyptic scene and so forth. Um, and we'll talk more about that when we get to those passages. But those are those are the different genres that I can think of that are uh, scattered throughout uh, the Bible. But, but the passages we're looking at right now uh, in Genesis, they are, again, a historical narrative. And that's one of the reasons why we did this reading the way we did. We read a portion of Genesis, a historical narrative, 
Then we have Proverbs, which is wisdom literature. You have the Psalms, which are Psalms. And um, and then you have... Um, gospel. The gospel, yeah. And so a gospel account, also a historical narrative, but still um, looking forward to what's God saying in the New Testament. Yeah, the, the other one that Daniel and I talked about was... Um, was the letters of Paul and how those are those are almost like practices of the church? Yes, and, epistle, yeah. yeah, epistolary or whatever. And, and so yeah, those are not words so of much instruction. a story structure, but more of an instruction. Yeah, yeah a follow up to the gospels. Yeah, and not just the writings of Paul, but First, Second, Third John, First, mm-hmm. Second Peter, also mm-hmm. those yeah. follow the same theme. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, again, we're not there yet, but yeah, we're getting there. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! It's yeah. coming. Yeah, in case they hadn't read the Bible before. That's right. They, uh, we're going to blow the whole thing. So it's like they're watching a Netflix series, and like you told them how, how like, what's coming up four episodes ahead. That's right. So. Uh, several episodes ahead, actually. <laughs> yeah. We will be in Revelation for s- yeah, several, several months. Yeah. yeah, there's only ever like 13 or 14 episodes in a Netflix season. Yeah. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, we could do that. We could just record them all right now. Yeah, let's just, go. Let's blow this whole thing wide and open. So that we pit people binge listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I, I thought too hard into the Netflix. All right, thing. cool. So that does that cover the extent of your question, Evan? Yes. Cool, cool, cool. But we had a couple other questions that were asked to me in uh, people who are in church. Uh, one came out of Genesis 18. And I asked her if I could use this question. She was talking about, well, the question was very direct. She said, how is Abraham able to look into the face of God and not die? And uh, which is a great question. Uh, it, it, but it brings out a lot of greater things. And I think the first thing I wanted to highlight, when you're reading in the Old Testament, there's a lot of what we would call anthropomorphisms of God, which mm-hmm. means we give God human attributes because you're trying to describe things that we don't really have a way to describe God. Uh, and so you give him human traits because just because that's the only way we can try to connect the thing we're trying to communicate. The other thing is to also remember we have a complete revelation of, of God. All that he intended for us to know about him we know through the revealed word through all of the Bible. What that means is, is when we're reading about Abraham in Genesis, there's a limited amount of revelation at that point. You have to look at it in light of what do they know about God at this point, uh, because we're going to get a lot more information about God throughout in the remainder of Genesis, throughout the rest of the law that's given, uh, and then throughout uh, the Chronicles of the Kings, uh, through the Davidic era, we're going to get more revelation of, of him then. Then through the prophets, we're going to learn more about God. And then, of course, Jesus himself gives us, we have the New Testament revelation. We have all that. And and then revelation, we believe, ends that revealed time. So this isn't about, well, I had a dream about this and God showed me this about himself. We believe revelation ended with the book of Revelation. So there's no new revelation but we do have further revelation within the context of the Bible itself about who God is and how he operates. And, and so, yes, these things about that we can't uh, look at God in his entirety. But one of the things we know about God is he's omni- omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. But he's also omnipresent, which means God is everywhere. He isn't everything, but he is around everything throughout the universe. So when you think of it like that, to say I'm looking at God, uh, at the face of God, one, he doesn't have a face like we have a face, and you aren't seeing all of God in his entirety. Uh, So that's not what he's referring to when he says you look upon him and you will die. 
It's just sometimes his glory is revealed in a locus so strong that it has the potential, so powerful, it has the potential to destroy a man. And God would warn people, like when he was manifesting himself in his Shekinah glory in the Holy of Holies, he would say, you cannot go into this place and, and witness this glory unless I have prepared you for this, unless you are, I've made you ready. He was showing us, Again, well, the best example is when Jesus himself is walking upon the earth. He's walking upon the earth. People are looking at him all the time. So obviously that's not the Holy of Holies Shekinah glory moment that you had in the Old Testament. So how is it that people are looking upon Jesus if Jesus is God? And one of the ways I like to describe to people is that that he voluntarily muted his power, meaning he he's pulled back from revealing his full glory. Uh, there are greater manifestations of his glory, like when the disciples are on the Mount of Transfiguration and so forth, and he's revealing himself. But when you talk about God revealing himself through Jesus and walking and, and talking with people and so forth, this is uh, in the Old Testament, when you talk about the Holy of Holies and, and going into the Holy of Holies, that's, that's God saying there is a, there's a separation between you and me that you can't dwell fully in my presence because of the fallenness of mankind. This is what has, we go back into Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, Genesis 3 primarily, where we're talking, where we look in 4, we look at the fall of mankind and, and, and see how uh, this barrier has been created between man walking in intimate fellowship with God. Now, because of sin, we aren't able to dwell in his holiness on a regular basis which creates the need for redemption, which creates the need for Jesus to come as a man in order to provide us that atonement, that necessary substitutionary atonement. And so so when you look at Abraham, who's here in uh, Genesis 18, he has three visitors come. This is a great a great narrative in that we, I hate to use the word story because people think that we're talking about fairy tales or fictitious things. So if I do use the word story, understand I'm not saying that the story is not true. I'm, I'm inferring that it's just a story being told and it's a factual true story. But there are these three men that come to visit him to share with him about Sarah getting ready to conceive a child and that Abraham, who's 99 now, and, uh, and Sarah, 89, who are you know, fairly old for parents. And, and so there, so this is a, uh, them introducing this idea of you're going to have this child. We know through the narrative that two of these men are definitively angels, that they will go on to Sodom and Gomorrah and will be there when uh, the city is being destroyed. And there's a whole narrative where Lot tries to bring them into, has to bring them into his house. Uh, they strike blind the people who are trying to break into the house, and it's a pretty uh, dark event as they're getting ready to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But, uh, but the one who is, uh, as Abraham is having this discourse with this third person, he frequently refers to him as Lord. And in the Bible, now, uh, in the Bible, in the original text, the, the letters are all going to be capitalized, but we infer in our translation, the reason why capital L is put before Lord in this description is because it, it appears he is indeed God, or at least a, a manifestation of God, a pre-incarnate uh, Christ. This is part of a, a Christophany of, of who Jesus is before um, before he comes in his, uh, in the baby in the manger. And 
And so when, the reason why we refer to that is because the only God we ever actually see as man is Christ. Uh, we don't have a way. God is spirit. He doesn't manifest himself as a human. So that's why we say it's a pre-incarnate uh, person of Christ. Now, these are all, this is all conjecture. Right. And, and I think that an important thing to share here is when we talk about theology, which is just the study of God, it always is secondary to what Scripture actually says. Scripture takes a higher plane than theology itself. Theology is us reading Scripture, trying to get an understanding of God through what we are reading. But we are fallible, and we can misinterpret things and misunderstand things. And if we do not have the clear revelation of what the Scripture is saying, uh, then we're just... Um, I don't want to say we're guessing, but we're we're taking the best we got with what we're given with. The best but, inference possible. Yeah, exactly. We're coming to the best conclusions yeah. we can come to. And, uh, and it's, it's absolutely within the realm of reason that this is um, a manifestation of God here in the presence of Abraham. And it would be maybe, I don't know, akin to saying that he's he can tell that it is God, but it's not the full representation of his glory. That's what would kill a man. Correct. But it, he, God can still present enough of him maybe to right. say, hey, this is obviously God, but not so much of God that it will kill you on the spot. Correct. And we have other times when we think that has happened, when the when the fourth person enters the fire with Shadrach, mm-hmm. Meshach, and Abednego, when... Um, I'm trying to think of another instance where, uh, where well, when Moses is being, the burning bush is mm-hmm. speaking to Moses. Um, the bronze the angel, image. The angel of the Lord is within the, the fire speaking to him. Uh, this is These are times when we, it, the scripture shows us it is the voice of God. It is not a, just an angel communicating with Moses. It is God himself. He said, in fact, he identifies himself that he is I am, uh, Yahweh, uh, to Moses. So, um, and again, Moses doesn't die in that encounter. There's a later encounter that Moses has, and we're really jumping ahead of ourselves. You have to remember these questions later. But uh, when uh, Moses, he says, I'm going to let my glory pass by, he puts him in the cleft of a rock. God puts his hand over the cleft of the rock uh, to shield Moses from the full extent of his glory, but allows him to look at as he's on the backside of his glory as he's passing by, which gives Moses this glow. Um, well, I mean, you think about those things. What is the hand of God that's covering up Moses so he can't see? What is you know what are you actually looking at when you're looking at the backside of God? You know and and uh, these are just like I said anthropomorphisms are human traits we are applying to something that is not human. Um, but in the instance with Abraham, we have every it it says three men and so he manifest himself as a man but but abraham understands him to be and scripture clearly portrays him to be god the sacrifice the sacrifice of isaac the sacrifice of isaac somebody said why would god Ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac in, in Genesis 22. That is a great question because, um, as Daniel and I were talking earlier, that, uh, that was of the culture. They sacrificed their children. There were yeah. a lot of people. That would identify God. We were talking with, with the other pagan gods. Yes. And how does that jive with our, our view of the God that we feel like we know? And when, when God, uh, when we get the further 
revelation of the law later with Moses, he makes it extremely clear that you are not allowed to sacrifice your children, that this is something that will make my people unique. When you go into the land of Canaan, uh, one of the things that, in fact, later on when the kings are rebelling against God and adopting foreign gods, mm. they introduce this practice again where they are sacrificing their and doesn't children. Doesn't God say something like, um, don't do that, I've never told you to do that, neither has it ever entered my mind for you to do that. Correct. Where And that makes you think instantly, well, you told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Yes. So did it enter your mind or did it not enter your mind? And we know, and the, the point is in, of the story is to remember he's revealing himself, who he is through Abraham, not just to Abraham, but to all of us who are going to receive this story and to everyone who follows Abraham at this point, because this is going to be something that's not just uh, Abraham goes through, but it's something he's going to remember and share over and over again. So he asked Abraham to do this. And it's not that God is going to, uh, there, sometimes in the Old Testament, you'll have references where God changed his mind or God, God doesn't ever change his mind. We know that for the further revelation of himself. So when that language is used, it's simply from our perspective, it would appear that he has changed his mind. But he is simply saying, I want you to walk this path I've got a different conclusion than you think in store for you, but I need you to think this and to do this in order to test, in order to reveal to you uh, what you think, what you may be thinking about me is untrue. So it may be revealing that Abraham didn't fully understand or fully know. Obviously, he didn't know that God wouldn't require the sacrifice because he's obeying it. So so he, he obviously had that section of his mind that this was something on the table anyway. Uh, that, and that is true to the God's character that we've we've grown accustomed to is that He will take us along a a path that He doesn't necessarily always tell us the end of. And as far as understanding Jesus goes, you know the the podcast um, you know theme here where Jesus didn't you know he he may have given hints and really sometimes outright told his disciples this is what's ha- going to happen, but they didn't have a full knowledge until maybe they got there. Yeah. Well, and I think Abraham also trusted God to take care of it, um, no matter how, no matter what happened. So it's and now looking back at the story of Isaac and Abraham and the sacrifice, it, it's pretty clear. I, I think that was never God's intention to follow through with that. So, uh, absolutely. I mean, and we know that because we know the end of the story. Yeah. Uh, and I think something we project into the story that God is thinking, I'm going to have him sacrifice Isaac, and then he gets to the end and goes, oh, wait, no, 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 change my mind. You have to understand that God already knows this story from start to finish. He knows he is not going to require this at Abraham's hand. The question is, why would he ask Abraham to do it if he had no intention of him sacrificing Isaac? And the point is, is that he is trying to reveal himself and give a fuller revelation of who he is and what he actually does desire. And and that's exactly what he does. He takes Abraham, Abraham... Abraham shows it. By the way, just an aside to Abraham. Kudos to Abraham. He's what, a, what an incredible <laughs> what a man of faith. I, I mean, just to say, you know, I mean, you've you were 75. God calls you out of your comfort zone and go to a land that you do not know. And says, I'm going to give you this land and give it to all your heirs. And it's like, well, I don't have any kids, and my wife's 65 mm-hmm. years old. It's like that's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna she's gonna be great with child. Not when she's 65. I'm gonna wait 25 years. <laughs> you know, it's like she's 65. Let's wait 25 years to really make this special. Uh, and so so you wait 25 years, 
And, and in the midst of that 25 years, you panic. And so you have a child through another woman. She panics. His wife panics. Let's do this this way. Let's figure out how to make this happen. Mm. And God's like, you don't have to figure this out. You don't have to make this happen. I'm going to make it yeah. happen. Just trust me. So he goes through all of this and and gets to the point. Now he has this child, this miraculous child, whose, whose name is Laughter, because they both both Abraham and Sarah laughed at the thought of it. And so they called him Laughter, which is named Isaac. And, uh, and so they have this child. And now... Uh, God says, I want you to kill him. And it's like, whoa, that, and, but this is, Abraham is so believing that he, he believes that God has the power to raise him from the dead. Now, why this is so powerful is because resurrection is something that is not, uh, not a belief at this particular point. In fact, even in Jesus's day, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, <coughs> resurrection. That's, that's how we always remember the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees, because they don't believe in the resurrection. That is why they are so sad, you see. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's so just a little aside. But the uh, but that so that that throughout Jewish history was something people struggled with was the reality of 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 resurrection. And yet here Abraham is before the prophets, before you have Elijah and Elisha who actually bring people back from the dead, and 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 this these, this revelation. You have uh, Abraham believing that God has this power uh, to do this and putting his trust, full faith in this, that he has the power. Mm -hmm. Not that he's going to make Sarah pregnant again, but that he is going to, I guess he believes, and, and thing sure. is he believes if he had the power to give us this baby in the first place, he has the power to resurrect him from It the almost dead. seems like he's, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost seems like he's like almost reenacting the Genesis story, like the Genesis 1 through 3 story with Adam and Eve over mm -hmm. again, where Adam and Eve were given a chance to trust God and failed to do that and then abraham was given a chance to trust god and failed the first several times he thought it was funny when god gave the first um the first um, knowledge that he was going to have a kid and then he tried to take it into his own hands just like adam and eve did and then finally he's given this ultimate chance to trust god and he's learned over the past decades okay god can god can do anything he acts the way he wants to act I'm going to trust him. And he's given a chance at life, whereas Adam and Eve settled for death. Yes. And then illustrates in that moment, well, he tells Isaac, when Isaac is asking, where are we going to, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham tells him, God will provide the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And 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 that's exactly what God does. Yeah. So think of that, what that does to Isaac to show him the assurance that we, we walked up that mountain having no idea where the sacrifice was going to come from. And then, man, dad freaked me out when he started buying me <laughs> up. <laughs> when he raised that knife, yeah. I was really doubting things. I bet it wasn't Abraham that passed the story along. I'm pretty sure it was Isaac. <laughs> Let me tell you how that felt, guys. Uh, when your dad's holding that knife above you, you're going, all right, I'm thinking something's going to happen here. And then an angel, I mean, and so committed that God had to send an angel to hold, to stay his hand to keep him from following through with the blow. Mm -hmm. And um, and then provides the ram in the thicket uh, in order to provide the sacrifice. And, and again, a beautiful picture of how God himself is saying, I will never require this at man's hand to provide a human sacrifice. I myself will offer my own son in order to be, I will yes. provide the sacrifice. Let me show you who I really necessary. am. Yes. Not who you thought I was. That's right. This is a. I'm not asking you to save yourselves. I'm not asking you to provide your own source of salvation. I myself will provide the sacrifice that's necessary to atone for your mm -hmm. sins. So.
powerful. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and discipline. But it's that first part of that proverb, the fear of the Lord mm-hmm. is the beginning of knowledge. And in Proverbs 1. 7, right. Yeah, I mean like yeah, the Proverbs beginning one. of the Proverbs. Oh, very good. the beginning yes, of wisdom, very, yeah, exactly. right laid out for you. Exactly. And what's so powerful about that is that... You always have to know, because when we're having these discussions and so forth, if you do not come into the study of God's Word or even the reading of God's Word or meditating at God's Word with a fear of the Lord, then, of course, you are not going to buy into... You, you become more of an antagonist toward the things we're talking about than someone who is embracing these things. The story was meant to be comforting and securing for people who are wanting the comfort and security of the truth of God's Word and knowledge and so forth. In Matthew chapter 3, there is a, an incredible passage in, in, as Jesus is un, talking about the baptism of Christ. Now, why this is so important is because there are people who will say, what is this thing about the Trinity? I don't believe there's, you know, the Bible never says uses the word Trinity. I hear that all the time. I don't, you teach the Trinity, but there's no actual use of the word Trinity. That is a true statement. There is no word in the Bible. The word Trinity never appears in the New Testament. But in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Here we have a moment in time in which the Son Jesus manifests as a man in the person of a man, is being baptized, physically being baptized in the water. At the same time, the Holy Spirit descends upon him, a separate person coming upon the man Jesus, the Holy Spirit coming down, and at the same time, the Father speaking in a voice that is separate from the voice of the man Jesus, separate from the Holy Spirit that is descending upon him, speaking out, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, is just simply how do we explain God being three distinct persons manifesting himself separately, yet there being only one God? And so that's how why we have to we come up with it. Can that be explained? And uh, and Augustine did Augustine did a great job. It's Saint Augustine, the, the town of Florida. It's Augustine when you're talking about the uh, historical figure. But um, Augustine came up with that that idea that it is God in three persons, but one Godhead, one one God manifested in three persons: the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all equal, meaning one is not greater than the other, but Jesus, the Son, in submission to the will of the Father by his choice. And they all interrelate, all eternal, all have co-related to each other for all of eternity. And, and it is a, a beautiful picture of, of understanding when the Father says he sends the Son to understand that 
what they are giving up, they have been in perfect harmony and perfect relation for all eternity. And in a moment of time, the father turns his back on the son in order to uh, punish or unleash his wrath upon the sin of mankind. And Christ endures that suffering, that pain for us, uh, so that we could be saved. Uh, to understand that that is that that he did not have to do that. He only did it because he wanted to include us into uh, the one that they are, that uh, he wants us to be one with him. He wants us to be able to live in him. He's restoring the fellowship of the Garden of Eden that was lost. He once had the opportunity, he created man for the purpose of having fellowship with him. They enjoyed that fellowship in perfect harmony in the Garden of Eden. It was lost to the fall of mankind. Jesus comes to restore that harmony. But uh, but if you ever have anybody give you a question of where in the Bible does it say that uh, a trinity, always take them to a passage like the one in Matthew 3, because there you have an instance where the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all there. It's not Jesus sometimes being the Father and sometimes being the Son and sometimes being the Holy Spirit. It's called modalism. This refuted in that passage because uh, he literally is three pers distinct persons in that particular passage. So. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast put on by First Baptist Church of Jackson. If you would like more information, you can find us online on our website at firstbaptistjackson.com. You can email us at daniel at firstbaptistjackson.tv. Or you can find us on social media, First Baptist Jackson on Facebook and FBCJMO on Instagram. We've got a lot of content in all of those places, and we would love to hear your questions on the content that we cover. If you would like to be a part of the podcast, you can email us and message us at any of those ways, or you can call the church office at 573-243-8415, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.